All right. Thank you so much. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Appreciate that so much. Francis kissed me. nice that was nice I like it <laughs> I like being loved and kissed tell my wife I missed her the other night but <laughs> so well I got to show you my picture of my family I, I like hearing about that transparency stuff because I uh, I'm a restored person everything I'm talking about is out of restoration I made a lot of terrible mistakes in my life I mean I was one of the guys that hated his pastor and cursed his church and left his church and I was one of those guys that tried to blow a church up because I was a young zealous prophet with a lot of zeal and no wisdom and he patched me up and gave me a love for the church again and uh, I love pastors and so now I'm doing the very thing I was trying to undo <laughs> it's crazy so I love that and I was also the depressed guy too year and a half to a psychiatrist, antidepressant medication. I used, to be the, I used to be the king of the roller coaster. And God grabbed one end of my life and the other, and he kind of went, and kind of flattened me out a little bit with his love. So, and there, there we are. There's my family, eight kids. The joke, the joke, the, the classic joke, which I have to repeat every time, is they're all boys, Eight kids, all boys, except for six girls. So there they are. We love them. Uh, if you can notice there, the last boy, James, was reinforcements from heaven. Because it, it was me and Luke against the world. And uh, we needed some help. God said he, dis he dispatched James to our household. He said, get down there quick. Dad... Uh, Dad and Luke need a lot of help. You better get down there fast. Because uh, it's tough, especially Sunday morning when we're trying to get ready for church. Curling irons, hair straighteners, blow dryers, irons. Anything that you can plug into the wall is plugged into the wall. And there's perfume and dresses. And we don't do dresses that much anymore. But there's, in, in the past, we've just had this history of Sunday morning. It's, it's pretty amazing, actually. So that's, uh, that's a little bit of me. And uh, because of that, I have a real heart for daughters and sons and young men. Uh, I wrote the book, The Heart of a Woman, not because I'm an expert. I just had an opportunity to make more mistakes than most people. You understand? That's kind of how it, where it comes from. It's not like I'm telling you what to do because I got it together. It's when you have six daughters, you get to make a lot more mistakes than most guys. And so I'm just hoping you can maybe learn from just a few of my bumblings because I have a heart to see dads and daughters so close and restored and dads and sons. and I believe it's a, really a spirit of revival. You know, the, the, the wonderful scripture in Malachi, what is it? It it's, uh, talks about turning the heart of fathers to their children and then the heart of children being turned back to their fathers, lest, lest I come and smite the land with a curse. It talks about this curse that would come on a land if that process doesn't happen. In other words, if dads don't turn their hearts to kids and kids don't respondingly turn their hearts back to their dads, slowly and uh, almost mechanically, like clockwork, a curse begins just to kind of encroach over the whole nation. And if you talk to any sociologist about any of our problems in our nation, they trace it back to this father absence or this fatherlessness. I mean, you talk to the prostitutes, they hate their father. You talk to the men in prison, 
I mean, you can't find a Mother's Day card in prison, but you can't hardly give away a Father's Day card in prison. Eighty-five percent, you know, just no relationship with their father. And so God is trying to reestablish that, and he's given us a wonderful chance to be that city set on a hill, a light, a bright light to a world looking for answers. And I'm believing God's wanting to do a marvelous work of restoration and a revolution in us so the world can come knocking on the door of the church and say, why are your sons like men of honor, and why are your daughters like princess, princesses? Why are your marriages strong? What, what is it? What's going on in there? Isn't that what, and, and, and whether it's knocking on the door of the church or really on the door of your life, because you are the church, that people are knocking on the door of your life saying, what is going on? Who are you? And that's that wholeness that Pastor Francis was talking about. And that's my passion and my heart. And how many people know that before you get the good news, you have to sometimes talk about the bad news? That the, I call it the good news of judgment. When you talk about the difficulties that we're facing sometimes as a nation and that what we're looking at and what we're feeling, then the good news is that when you talk about that, people can say, that's right, and I want to turn away from those things. And that's the beginning of revival. See, what, when the, the preaching of judgment is the beginning of judgment, but the preaching of judgment is always the beginning of revival because people can say, Lord, I turn away from that and toward you. I love that about the Lord. And this morning, I just want to look at a, a, a kind of an unpleasant scripture, but it's, it's just, I, I really actually love it. I love it because it's so full of what's happening today. It's so full of truth, and it, it raises so many questions about being a dad in, a, uh, in, this, in this time. So look, at, look with me at 2 Samuel 13. Can you do that? I'm going to read a portion of scripture to you and just make some comments as long as we, our time holds out. We can do that. And we'll just do it that way. Go until the clock, till the buzzer blows. Like a sprint. This is a story of a father and a son. It's a story of a father and a daughter. It's a story of a young man and a, some probably un... What would you call them? Some less than noble aspirations toward a young woman. That happens in our culture, doesn't it? Is that, is that what we're seeing everywhere all the time? And all the resultant brokenness that comes from that. Isn't it interesting that God's word is always so relevant to us? Always, it's, it's here. Why would he put chapter 13 in here? Here's, here is basically date rape in the Bible. Now, what is this, Lord? It's because he knows us. He knows our tendencies. He knows our hearts. He, he made man. He made woman. He made marriage. He made sex. He made, he made, he created us. And he knows how we work better than we know how we work. And he wants to open our hearts to see his revelation, his truth. Let me read this portion of scripture. Now it was after this that Absalom, the son of David, had a beautiful sister whose name was Tamar. And Amnon, the son of David, loved her. And Amnon was so frustrated because of his sister Tamar that he made himself ill, for she was a virgin, and it seemed hard to do anything to her. Woo! But Amnon had a friend. Isn't that great? <laughs> we always got a friend, don't we? <laughs> Amnon had a friend whose name was Jonadab, the son of Shimeon, David's brother, and Jonadab was a very shrewd man. And he said to him, O son of the king, why are you depressed morning after morning? Will you not tell me? Then Amnon said to him, I am in love with Tamar, 
the sister of my brother Absalom. Jonadab then said to him, Lie down on your bed and pretend to be ill. When your father comes to see you, say to him, Please let my sister Tamar come and give me some food to eat, and let her prepare the food in my sight that I may eat it and eat from her hand. So Amnon lay down and pretended to be ill. When the king came to see him, Amnon said to the king, Please let my sister Tamar come and make a couple of cakes in my sight that I may eat from her hand. Then David sent to the house for Tamar, saying, Go now to your brother Amnon's house and prepare food for him. So Tamar went to her brother Amnon's house, and he was lying down, and she took dough and kneaded it and made cakes in his side and baked the cakes. And she took the pan and dished them out before him, but he refused to eat. And Amnon said, Have everyone go out from me. So everyone went out from him. Then Amnon said to Tamar, Bring the food into the bedroom that I may eat from your hand. So Tamar took the cakes which she had made and brought them into the bedroom to her brother Amnon. When she brought them to him to eat, he took hold of her and said to her, Come, lie with me, my sister. But she answered him, No, my brother, do not violate me. For such a thing is not done in Israel. Do not do this disgraceful thing. As for me, where can I get rid of my reproach? And as for you, you will be like one of the fools in Israel. Now, therefore, please speak to the king, for he will, he will not withhold you from you. He will not withhold me from you. However, he would not listen to her. Since he was stronger than she, he violated her and lay with her. Then Amnon hated her with a very great hatred, for the hatred with which he hated her was greater than the love with which he had loved her. And Amnon said to her, Get up and go away. That's real. That's reality. Here's a young man interested. Oh, okay. Switching mics. Okay, well, we're winning here. But uh, here's this story. I think it's permissible. In, in the, I think it, in the setting, you think this, this, it's kind of a stepsister. And I guess, obviously, during that time, that was permissible. So here's this young man who has this. It says he's in love with his sister, Tamar, with this beautiful virgin, Tamar. And it love's sort of a throwaway word, isn't it? <laughs> I'm in love. I love cookies. I love dominoes. I love vacations. I love getting an A in math. I love this lady. It's a, it's a funny word. I think we could replace this one with lust. I think this is a young man who's, it says he's frustrated because she's a virgin and it seemed hard for him to do anything to her. Well, he's sure, he's sure descriptive about what he's, at, what he's after. He's, he's on it. This is an insight to his heart. I think he's losing the battle. He, a lust seems to be kind of, here's a young prince who should be focused on noble things. He's being trained to be a king. He, obviously, he has great abilities and, and a, a spirit of determination. He's just focused on the wrong stuff. So many young men in our culture are awesome young men who get focused on the wrong things. They have tremendous abilities and tremendous determination. My son is like one of those boys. I just say, Luke, if we can get you pointed in the right direction, you'll do a lot of damage to darkness. We 
we want to point our young men in the right direction, don't we? So here he is losing the battle for character. Losing the battle for character. And I don't know why he has this friend. It says Jonadab was a shrewd man, this friend. Shrewd gives me the connotation that this, this guy has a plan. He has intelligence, but probably the outcomes of his plan and his intelligence are, are not necessarily noble. You know, that sense of shrewd. It just, there's this element of deception, this element of uh, taking advantage of someone who doesn't know they're going to be taken advantage of. This, this man is shrewd. So here he, they're teaming up. It's sort of like the locker room. You know, I have this kind of feeling they're sitting in the locker room talking about making a plan. Maybe that's just a, a not-too-distant memory in my own life. You know, sometimes I think our whole generation suffers from some sort of collective moral amnesia. Do you remember what you were like before you were saved as a young teenager? Moms and dads? You look at those cherub-faced young people, some barely with whiskers. My son keeps kind of feeling his face. Dad, look, I... But you look at those cherub-faced young people and you think, oh, surely they couldn't be thinking or feeling those things. Or even, surely not. Have we forgotten what was filling our heart in those days? I know what I was thinking about as a young man. I know what I was doing when I went on, quote, a date, and what I was trying to do, and what I was trying to take, and what I was trying to fill my heart with because of my own brokenness, my own need for intimacy. I, sometimes I think we have this collective moral amnesia, a whole generation thinking, oh, they're just so cute. Has it been that long, moms and dads? And God has rescued us and changed us. And so here he is with his friend. And his friend is hatching a plan. He doesn't like his, seeing his friend depressed. And he's hatching a plan. And the plan has deception in it. Isn't it interesting? He's, he's launching a plan to begin a relationship, kind of begin a kind of start out, kind of lay the foundation of some relational connection here with this lady. Jonadab says, lie down on your bed and pretend to be ill. When your father comes to see you, say to him, please let my sister Tamar come and give me some food to eat. Let her prepare the food in my sight that I may eat it from her hand. So he lays down, pretends to be ill, and the king comes and he, he kind of pops the question to his dad and says, hey, please let my sister Tamar come and make me a couple of cakes in my sight that I may eat from her hand. So the whole plan is to kind of lay a foundation of deception. It's all, it's all on deception. It's all on pretense. I, I, it, it does make me reflect on relationships today sometimes. I'm not, am I saying every relationship between a young man and a young woman is based on lies? No, I'm not saying that. But can you hear me? That, that the tendency, the fallen nature of humanity, that the relational system, we got dating, we have dorting, and we have courting. Dorting is the blend of dating and courting. Do you understand that? It's, it's sort of the Christian version, kind of squeezing them together. You know, we've got dorting now. But whatever you want to call it, okay, whatever you call it, okay, we've got a relational foundation, which the results of our relational foundation, the springboard in the marriage in our culture, four or five out of ten fail still, right? If we had a refrigerator factory in our city, in this city, making refrigerators that only work four or five out of ten times, wouldn't half the city be outside the factory saying, what in the heck is going on in that place? Either shut that factory down or fix what's going on because it's 
My hard-earned money, come on. But we have a relational system where four or five out of ten chances there's failure, and we pat our sons and daughters on the back and say, have a, have a nice time, honey. That's our flesh and blood. That's the, these are the, they're going to be the moms and dads of our grandchildren. This is their life. This is my daughter's heart. My daughter's heart. There's something in me as a dad that wants to protect her from any kind of brokenness or heartache. Believe me, the kind of heartache some daughters and some sons live with, God never designed that that would be in their heart. Never. I've seen it all over the earth. So here's this relational system that is, uh, or this passage of Scripture that seems, here's got deception, it's got pretense, it's got, it just reminds me of today. How many young men whisper things in the, the ears of empty-hearted daughters that are not true? I love you. I'm committed to you. We are going to get married someday. And that gives her hope and her, she's... And it lets her barriers down and that, that wonderful boundary that God has put around the gift of sexuality is just that much more easily crossed. And then the devastation and the heartache and the damage and the destruction comes. You know, when I think about Amnon and his friend, and I have to reflect about David and his relationship with his son. David made some mistakes in this area, didn't he? Sin. Mistakes is a light word. It was, you know, we know all the story about David and Bathsheba, don't we? Do you think maybe that the shame, maybe there was some residual shame in David's life that silenced him? that those conversations that every father should have with his son about what a man is and how he should treat a woman never happened between David and Amnon because of that shame and that failure of his past had silenced him and caused him to lose his voice. I've wondered about that. I thought, David, what in the world? I, I had to ask, David, did you ever have those conversations that fathers have with sons? We had a great time. My son and I went to Alaska. We went up to Alaska to do a float trip on the Yukon River, and each night we would camp on an island. That was our whole deal. And it was like heaven on earth for Luke. I mean, we're talking about the land of the midnight sun. It never got dark. We had our shotguns. Luke, we went the whole week. Luke never had to change his socks or his underwear. I mean, it was, you know, I mean, he was 13. It was, it was, a, heaven, it was a heavenly experience. I mean, Luke was having a great time and we're really we're shooting the shotgun at night and we're throwing sticks like uh, skeet and you know shooting the shotgun and Luke's standing in the, up to his knees in mud and you know he's getting into the sleeping bag with those filthy feet every night and oh it was a great time but we also had those all those hours in the canoe together paddling where we talked about sex it was scary for me here I'm teaching about it all over the world but when you look your flesh in the face and have to talk about body parts and things like that. Oh! But I, I just kind of went for it and said, Luke, you ever think about this? And let's talk about that. And 
we're just paddling along in the canoe, having that, those father-son, that father-son discussion. It was, it was great. It was scary, but great. Uh, really, I was training him. I, I guess I was protecting him by talking to him. Because he's either going to get it from Jonadab or the latest teeny bop, little sex kind of inserted R13 film or from the locker room or from somewhere, a magazine, God forbid. He's going to get it from somewhere. It just happens. It's reality, man. Remember your past. Where did you get it? Did you have that conversation with your father? And by God's grace, maybe God has brought you into the kingdom of God and has healed you from that less than positive past where your father didn't talk to you. I just think, David, you let your shame silence you. You let your failure. I guess I want to encourage you men to break the sound barrier and not let your silent, not let, not let your, any failure maybe anything in your past. Maybe, maybe your past would be a wonderful springboard, even your failure, a wonderful springboard to declare the glory of God to your son in this area. That it would be a platform of discussion, even a teaching tool as you walk in humility before him and look at your flesh in the face and say, Whew. I'm glad we went to Alaska. We still talk about it. How you doing with the girl thing, Luke? He's 16 now. I've never been a dad of a 16-year-old. I need God. Guess what? Next year, it'll be the first time I've ever been a dad of a 17-year-old boy. And I'm going to need God. <laughs> and then that, when he's 18, it'll be the first time that I was ever a dad of an 18-year-old boy, and I'm going to need the Lord. God sort of designs life that way. kind of keeps us dependent on him when we want to get everything wired and kind of coast in, God keeps changing things. We need him, don't we? You know, isn't it interesting how a lot of, a lot of the verses in this talks about her making the cakes and preparing them in his sight and then feeding to him out of her hand. I, I thought, why did they just say she's going to make cakes and feed him? You know, or I want her to come over and feed me or... Just kind of a one-liner. It's just verse after verse of cakes and making them in, his, in the sight of him and feeding his and, and being right present with him. It made me think about the nature of a daughter and how this is really an assault against the nature of a daughter. Can I talk about the nature of a daughter for a minute? It seems that there's this sense that this daughter's part of her motivation is to want to, can I say it this way, to heal a bad boy or no, heal someone sick. You know how much maternal spirit is operating in our daughters that wants to connect with someone who's needy? I mean, God has ordained a healing spirit to flow out of the heart of women. A nurturing, healing, feeding, he, uh, restoring. I mean, that's, that's the thing God wants to loose into the, in, into the nation through the church is a, is a spirit that would break that spirit of barbarism that, that wants to come on our nation. Where that spirit of gentleness and healing and nurture and restoration would flow through the heart of daughters. And that's, that's what's flowing through hearts of daughters. And there's a maternal spirit in a daughter that wants to heal someone. Wants to, and this whole process of that healing is, is part of that. I, I don't think Tamar ever thought, well, I'm being set up to be taken advantage of. I'm going to, 
She just thinks, I get to heal a prince. I'm going to get to heal a prince. It's right up to the very moment she, she, she's asked to come into the bedroom. She's, she's just thinking, I'm going to get to heal a prince. I'm going to heal a prince. I, you think she's thinking I'm going to be set up to be taken advantage of? She's not thinking that. She's not thinking I'm going to be. Because her nature is to want to heal. How many daughters today, in the, even in the church, they, they have a heart to love people and if they're unprotected, there's such a danger they can, they can want to end up trying to heal a bad boy. They heal a bad boy, they get married. Five years later, they're in the pastor's office saying, he's not very interested in church. He's not really interested in the kids going to church. I'm, I'm bringing him to church. Because no one protected her. No one helped her understand her maternal spirit and that romantic spirit that once sometimes it gets blended together in a moment of time. Here's this daughter wanting to heal a bad boy. You know, I, it makes me think about fathers and protecting daughters. That's really my heart. I want to protect my daughters. I, uh, let me mention a few things that I've learned the hard way. And, I don't know if it's the hard way, just by God's grace. But one of the first things a dad has to do with a daughter is if he's, if he's lost the heart of his daughter, he has to win it back. A dad has to win the heart of a daughter. In other words, build a bridge between your heart and the heart of that princess in your house. The way that happens is by our attention. We have to enter their world. Sometimes we want our children to enter our world kind of on our terms. I think about the Lord, how the Lord, in his awesome wisdom, he left a comfortable heaven and kind of entered our world. He came to us. And I, I see, especially in situations where there's some estrangement, I see the great need for us to build a bridge. I've been building bridges with baseballs and bicycle tires for years with my children. I just, I build bridges. I mean, I, Luke and I played catch, I don't know how many millions of times, building bridges with baseballs that later the burden of the Lord could walk across that bridge where Jesus could walk across the bridge that I built between my heart and my heart's in the son of my heart, or the heart of my son. Molly loves to ride bikes, and oh, I would, she'd come with me, Dad, I have a flat tire, and so I'm building bridges by fixing Molly's flat tire. I can think, well, I need to study Russian. I go to Russia a lot. I need to do something spiritual. I need to, no, the, probably the greatest thing I could do that would bring revival to America is fix Molly's flat tire. That's probably... That's really what I could do. I could, I could enter her world and, and say to her, you are really important to me, Molly, and what's important to you is important to me. When children are little, that's just their world. And when we enter their world and give them that attention, that builds that bridge of relationship, which the Lord can walk across later on. There's that bridge of respect and that, that deep sense in the heart of our children that they, I'm important. I'm important, so I'm going to, it's pretty hard to reject, and it's pretty hard to hate the values of someone that loves you. I mean, it happens occasionally, but boy, that, when that bridge is built, there's something about those values that can be transferred, and that's our heart's desire, isn't it, moms and dads? It's our heart's desire. The second thing that a dad does with a daughter is to fill their heart with love. It's through affection, hugs, touching, pure non-sexual touch. And through that affirmation, I end up prophesying over my daughters a lot. 
I've come to see that daughters are designed to hear something in their heart. They're designed to hear they're beautiful. They're designed to hear they're special. They're designed to hear they're pure and wonderful. And we have this thing in our house. It's, a, it's kind of a fun deal. And, you know, I've watched, I've seen what's the assault on daughters, the assault against purity in daughters' hearts. There's a hatred of the enemy for young women. There's a hatred for purity because purity is a reflection of the church. Who is this person that Jesus loves? An army tank? It's a bride, isn't it? Jesus loves his bride, who he wants to be without spot or wrinkle. No wonder the devil hates marriage, and he hates brides, and he hates purity. It's, symbol, it's, a spiritual, it's a symbol of a spiritual truth that's so important for us to grasp. So there's an all-out assault against it. So there'd be no physical example of those spiritual truths on, on the earth. He would love to destroy marriage. He would love to destroy the spirit of a bride. He would love to destroy the spirit of purity everywhere, everywhere he could. He's working 24-7, the power of darkness, to, to crush those things because they reflect spiritual truth. No wonder the enemy hates it so much. It's part of this whole culture that's sex-saturated. It's part of this culture that really is worship sex. If you think about what's going on, if you're going to worship sex in a culture, you've got to destroy that purity in a daughter's heart. You've got to make it that much easier for her to cross that boundary of protection that God has set around that gift of sexuality by eroding that purity and attacking that inhibition and that modesty. I mean, what is this... Maybe you heard about Abercrombie and Fitch's thong underwear they were selling to 11 and 12-year-olds that said eye candy on it. I mean, my little 11-year-old daughter is just a little toothpick princess right now. You know? Barely aware, just beginning to be aware of her own femininity. Eye candy, thong underwear for 12-year-olds. What is that all about? It's about an assault against our daughters. It's about an attack. You know, the spirit of modesty is so beautiful. And to see it budding out of the heart of daughters, to see it, it's just it's so beautiful. And, and again, so hated by the enemy. In our home, we have a lot of fun, and we only have one and a half bathrooms. Eleven people. We usually have a master's commission student, like an intern living with us, too. So we had to develop this policy of kind of the knock and the open door knock policy for the littler girls. It wasn't weird or anything, but I would never get my teeth brushed. I would never get to my appointments if I couldn't knock on the door, discern which daughter was in there and be able to go in and brush my teeth real quick, kind of regardless what was going on. So if my Maggie, if my three-year-old was in there, I could knock on the door. I, just, I determined it's Maggie. I could go in there. It's okay. It's not weird. We just sort of did it that way to survive. So I'd knock on the door, and Maggie's in there. I'd walk in, and Maggie'd be sitting on the potty, kind of looking at Dad. And I walk in, and I go, "Hi, Maggie, how you going? Great, Dad. You know, I'm just brushing my teeth real quick. See you later, babes. Pat her on the head, and out I go. And everything is fine. It's not weird. It's not. It's just Dad. You know, Dadish. We're trying to get stuff done. It's just life with a little three-year-old. Well, and Rachel too. She's was little too. And so I knock on the door. And one day I knocked on the door, and. It was Rachel's voice. I thought, oh, it's a green light. I can go in there. I go in there. Rachel's sitting on the potty. And I go, hi, Rachel. I pat her on the head. I start brushing my teeth. She goes, Dad? Dad? Yes, Rachel, what is it? I'd like a little privacy, please. <laughs> you, 
Rachel, you, okay, please forgive me. Out I went and that was the end. Never again would I knock on the door and hear Rachel's voice and be able to walk in that room because she was beginning to be aware of her modesty, her, that awesome gift of purity and modesty and that self-awareness as a daughter that the power of darkness hates with such a passion. I believe dads, we need to prophesy, we need to break the sound barrier with our daughters. If we say to our boys, I'm proud of you, I believe in you, you can do it, and fill their hearts with courage and confidence, then the things we need to speak to our daughters is that you're beautiful, you're pure, you're special, you're wonderful, you're my awesome princess. And they are designed to hear that. Dads, we have to break the sound barrier. I talk to dads and daughters all the time. It's, it's, it's almost like this sad love story that never gets brought together. I, I talk to dads and dads just through tears say, I love my daughter so much. I love her so much. I, and daughters saying, I know my dad loves me. I just want to hear it. And maybe those first times when you break the sound barrier, you just need to almost be mechanical. But just get used to looking your flesh in the face and saying, you mean so much to me prophesy. When you prophesy and fill their hearts with love, guess what happens when they're 15 walking down the street and the horn honks and the guys go, hey baby, yo, woo! Which will happen. They'll stop, look behind them, look, and they say, well, don't really need that because my dad already filled my heart with love. I mean, in so many words, they'll do that. In so many words, they will be walking in that confidence and that sense that my father loves me. So we build the bridge. We have to build the bridge. Then we fill their heart. And then we set protection around them. And that protection will not be viewed as tyranny if we've built that bridge. If we haven't built the bridge of love, that, that protection we want to put around them will be viewed as tyranny from someone who doesn't have their best interests in mind. So don't start putting the protection around dads until that bridge is built. And ask God for wisdom on how to do that. God's going to help us do that. Isn't it a sad story that this young man took advantage of this young woman? Took advantage of her. Because David sent her off to a house. Go ahead and go over there, honey. I thought, it's like the, the young man that comes to the, the door of the house. Suppose, suppose a young man came to the door of my house and said, I, Mr. Anderson, you've got that new Jaguar in the parking lot. I'd really like, could you give me the car keys? I'd like to take it out for two or three hours and kind of check it out. I'd kind of go, well, let me get this right now. What's your name? Yeah. Uh, now, I don't even know who you are. I, I don't know your driving history, your level of responsibility. I, I don't know what your character is. I mean, I, this is a little bit of a stretch to take my Jaguar out for three hours. I mean, I... Oh, but somebody knocks on door of house of a daughter's world night after night in our culture, and fathers don't even know the name of the young man who takes their daughter out for us. Being God's wanting to help us bring a revolution about folks. He's asking us to rethink some things. There's brokenness and there's God's desire to heal and restore and, and, and create a city set on a hill that the world will come knocking and saying, what is going on in that place?
Why are the faces of your young men so bright? Why are your daughters' faces so safe? Why is there safety all about them? Why are those marriages strong? I believe that's God's heart for his church in this hour. I'm excited to see that. Maybe we can stand together. Can we stand together as we close the service? Maybe someone can come. And uh, I wanted to show you something we're doing. Can I, uh, can I show you something we're doing as a prophetic voice into our culture? It's very exciting. Do you know that on prom night, a lot of daughters premeditatively give up their purity like a quasi-wedding night? I've talked to young women. I teach them all the time, college-age women. They have friends. They could give me names of their friends who did that. They talk to them about it. So we thought God cooked up some things. Can we? Here's what we're putting in our city. There's billboards in our city right now. He asked, you said yes, and now all you have is the horrible pain of being used. That's pretty potent, but those are up. Prom night, it's time for young men to do what's right instead of what's easy. It's appealing to that spirit in a young man that wants to do what's right. There's something in a young man that wants someone to challenge them to do what's right. And this last one says, he may spend a lot of money on you, but you need to tell him you're not for sale. See, I want to encounter that spirit over our culture. I just want to say the charade is over. We're not going to dance to the dance. We're going to start talking about the things that are really happening in our culture because we love our sons and daughters. It's not that we hate people. We hate proms that everybody, we think everybody going to the prom does this. But we want to start talking about the things that are really happening and not do the dance anymore. That's what we want to do. We want to, send, we want to say to the young men, there's no spirit of entitlement, young men. There's no spirit of entitlement in this culture. You may spend all the money you want, but this is somebody's princess. This is somebody else's princess. You don't touch her. We want to say to the daughters, listen, daughters, there's no spirit of obligation to pay anybody back for doing anything.